Hello and welcome to the Buy One Eight podcast with Alex and Owen. I'm Alex Pearson Jones, and I'm Owen Hubbard. <laughs> nice, well remembered. Uh, this is a show about powerlifters, not just about powerlifting. Each week we discuss the experience of lifters as it relates to the sport and our lives as a whole. Sometimes these talks confirm our biases, and sometimes they do not. This week we're going to talk about the EGM um, and kind of attempt to tell the story of everything that's gone on over the past few years and kind of how and why things have kind of reached a uh, a boiling point, but more to kind of try to deliver that message to the layman powerlifter and, you know, to any of our international friends that are kind of listening and kind of trying to understand like what the heck's going on um, over here. So uh, if you like this episode, please consider hitting subscribe, leaving a comment and letting us know what you think, uh, what you'd like to hear more of in the future. And if you kind of would like us to have anybody on or anything like that, you can DM us at x18 on Instagram. Uh, and you can find me at Squats. You can find Owen at Oherb or at A7 UK and Europe. Um, and also the uh, X18 fanny packs are now available to purchase for anyone uh, on the Battalion Barber website as well. So um, with all of that stuff out of the way, um, like I just mentioned, the goal of this episode is going to be basically to explain uh, and kind of describe slash tell the story of everything that's gone on uh within and around kind of british power thing over the past few years and to kind of explain and lay the ground work for kind of what's gone on so um <clears throat> i guess we could start with uh the primary goal of british power thing and what they are attempting to do at kind of like the the highest level um and then go from there and that is uh ngb status and tier one ngb status which is clearly kind of outlined a uh, set of rules by Sport England to achieve uh, grant funding from zero to £250,000 a year. Um, there are certain things that you have to do as a sporting organisation, which British Powerlifting have done some of, but not all of. Um, and the main one is that you can't have a chairman in for a term any longer than eight years, um, which Richard Parker has been. Uh, no, sorry, not Richard Parker. He's set down as chairman and he's CEO. Um, but I need to double check exactly who the chairman is. Uh, Ian Finch is chairman, but the the like the board has basically stayed the same, and they haven't met that criteria. Number one, which is pretty huge in terms of um, funding, right? If if British Powerlifting got two hundred fifty grand from the government or Sport England for free every year, just from being you know the recognised body, then that's obviously a huge deal. Um, so that's kind of. I guess one of the big driving forces behind the uh, what the direction of British piloting has gone in over the past little while and kind of what they're trying to do. Um, if we fast forward through all the stuff in the middle, effectively what has kind of happened most recently, uh, you guys, if you remember a British piloting would have gotten a notice of the EGM. So an extraordinary general meeting um, to quote the, um, like the, the email that got sent out, basically there's gonna be an extraordinary general meeting um, and there was a letter posted, um, I'm gonna uh, paraphrase this, but if you Instagram search, just look for the page BP EGM, um, you'll be able to kind of read this exactly. And basically uh, there have been people calling for an extraordinary general meeting um, in accordance with uh, a certain bit of legislation within British powerlifting um, to basically, um, I'm not actually sure if it says it in here. 
Um, but because the financial reports were not accepted the previous two years and nothing has been rectified, um, they want a full audit of the accounts uh, and they are basically calling for new leadership in a, you know, in a, in a, in a, well, in a public way. They, they, they've shared this letter and it's, it's kind of been put out there. Um, now, Owen, I don't know the best way that you kind of want to go about explaining this, whether or not you want to go from kind of previous AGMs and things that haven't been actioned over the past few years um, and kind of the... I guess if we were to use this kind of boiling point analogy where it started and kind of what some of the issues have been um, and then maybe kind of why 2024 and why now it's such a big deal and why it's important for them to kind of achieve these things as urgently as they're calling for them to be called for. Yeah, I think um, there's like a couple of different uh, points really what you touched on there, but like generally the, the consensus over the last really since the last um uh elections like sort of three years ago um is that i feel like the general consensus from every single agm at that point is that the running theme is there's a lot of things from a previous agm that had been minuted and whether a proposal had been accepted or um something had been noted to be actioned and then the next year comes around and the board are questions on these on these points. And a lot of the time the answer is that's not been actioned or no, we haven't done that or something along those lines. And I, th I think the the general consensus, um, like speaking personally from going to these AGMs is that the core people I uh, believe that the board are not doing enough to A, be transparent in their action plan uh, towards whether it's the NGB status and getting funding that way or towards, um, you know, making actions on what essentially they are responsible for, which is what has been proposed by the members in previous years which has been accepted by the members for the board to help action. Yet, though a lot of those motions uh, have not been put into place. And I think if you look at like, whether it's the strategic plan of British powerlifting, um, or you look at uh, the, you know, national government body status, or you look at whether it's uh, drug testing, whether it's sponsorship, whatever the, um, like whether you call it needs of the of the membership are, or whether you want to call it that, uh, I think that a lot of members aren't happy that the board aren't meeting the, those needs and meeting those standards and requirements of competency, essentially, um, that while they're doing a job to keep British powerlifting running, there is a large concern that if we were to try and progress, whether that's through funding more um, international federation like trips, you know, like, for example, uh, paying for athletes to fly to worlds or to fly or for their hotels or whatever it might be, like, like a lot of other federations do. I think there's a large concern that if we were to do that, uh, 
the the federation could become insolvent and one of the motions that was passed this year um by paul uh, marsh and kim cowell was for paying head coaches to stay at uh international events for up to 10 days or up to the length of the competition so one day before and one day after which are you know key obligations for a head coach um you know that's going to cost up to and including i think i think it was quoted at about 50 to 60,000 pound um or if you if you sent a head coach for the full time for every single competition um and that motion was passed so like that's one of the things where that is pushing the sport forwards and you know you're funding rightly so head coaches should be funded like if they're going to graft at a competition um but then based off the financials british powerlifting year on year if you took covid out because covid was a blessing in disguise for british powerlifting before covid they were very close to becoming insolvent so they weren't making the money covid essentially meant no international travel which uh helped british powerlifting massively so i think the general consensus like where where the where the money is being spent needs to be spent but the consensus is like how is it being managed so that the federation can stay afloat and what you alluded to with this year to the end of this year there is like um a lot of sponsorship contracts that are that are expiring and being renewed um you've obviously got the start of um national government body status for the first last couple of years you've got um you know the introduction of powerlifting being in bucks as a university sport so there are a lot of more avenues in the last couple of years where there is a chance for more financial growth of the federation and with elections being placed at the next agm which is march 2024 i think there is a a general thought of these elections now need to be made and this decision needs to be made beforehand where maybe and and the letter that was proposed by um the the people who are proposing like james brinkett smith and a few others is saying that you know if the board um are not uh you know the board are essentially voted out um they will stay they're encouraged to stay in a place for a non a non-voting position up until the next agm and in the next agm a full vote of elections will be made so it's almost like you know when you when you have like a government overthrown there's an interim uh president or prime minister and then that and then another election is made right and essentially this is the same thing that is being proposed uh i will also say though that just just a side note because i think there's a lot of conversation around like the egm being like okay these people are coming forward to vote out possibly uh the current exec an egm essentially is an agm but not annual right so there is 
a a complete chance that there are, are going to be other motions being put forward whether it's by the current exec whether it's by other members of the federation that can be voted on at this egm so while like you know and that's something that we'll have to see when um the the agenda comes out essentially yeah, so I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna quote this because I've I've just kind of like found it. So you can again you can find this letter um, on Instagram. If you just search BP EGM, um, they've posted the letter, and you can you can get access to the to the Google Doc that they've got up here. But to quote probably the most important paragraph, um, they have said in in this letter, many of our signatories are divisional heads, promoters, coaches, referees, engaged volunteers, and longtime members of British Powerlifting. We are all in agreement that our leadership no longer represents how we want our federation to look or act, and uh, as such, we want to formally indicate that you no longer have our confidence. So, without saying it, they're effectively calling for the signatories of this letter uh, a vote of no confidence in uh, at this EGM, which is. You know, they haven't said it in as short words, but that's effectively what they've said by sending this letter and by kind of calling for um, the different things. The major thing that they've kind of like quoted here is again about the financial reports that haven't been accepted for two years. Um, and then like you mentioned, they've kind of called for this like interim, uh, this interim board position. Um, both JVS and Ben Davies have kind of been public in, in sharing a lot of this stuff. Um, and they actually did a podcast uh, today, so Monday the 10th of July, with the Sabado boys kind of talking about exactly what they're planning to do and all that sort of stuff. The reason that we haven't got either of those two on um, is we basically wanted to just remain neutral and talk about it from as much of a position as we could of kind of to explain to everybody else what's going on and why this has kind of happened, which I think is the important message and to kind of give people the, the tools. Obviously, I would encourage you guys to check out that podcast. It's about two hours long and they kind of go into a lot of the different things that they're planning on doing. Um, Just a thing as well is obviously um, this uh, EGM isn't just that small group of people uh, voting against the small group of people who are currently on the board. Like every member gets a vote. So if you're a member of British Powerlifting, if the the EGM is in August in Ashington, if you can't make it, uh, sending a proxy in beforehand with someone you know who is going, if you do actually want to vote and have a process and you either side whether you believe the current board are doing a good job or not, or whatever the agenda is, if you feel passionate about a motion that is going ahead, like... If you're a member of British Powerlifting, you're listening to this, like, and you actually want to have some sort of uh, um, say, uh, you can either vote via a proxy, or if you do actually have something you want to put forwards, uh, you can still do so before. Um, you'll have to look on the website. I don't know when the exact date is, but I think it's early August. Uh, you can put your motion in. It just needs to be seconded by another member of british powerlifting it doesn't have to go to like your division or anything you put a motion in uh, uh, another member has to second that motion you have to put that in to the board um and then it gets accepted and then that gets raised at the egm so or and that's obviously the same at an agm so just that's a side note of 
you know, don't just complain from a distance. <laughs> yeah, which I think I think is kind of like our, our biggest agenda and goal here, right? So um, again, everyone should have received an email from British Powerlifting, who is a member of British Powerlifting, um, kind of giving notice of the EGM. Um, for some reason, it's at um, Hearst Welfare Centre in Ashington, um, and it is on the 20th of August, Sunday the 20th of August at 11am. Um, notices of motions must be submitted in accordance with Article 103 and the Companies Act and received by the CEO no later than the 20th of July, 2023. So f I'm hoping to air this on the 11th of July. So you'll have about nine days or whatever um, to spare something forward. And like you said, with um, Owen, you know, you need, you need somebody else to kind of back a motion if you want to present that. Now... The proxies haven't been confirmed. Obviously, proxies we should be able to accept electronic signatures, like in in law, um, but they weren't accepted last year for whatever reason. Um, so we're still kind of waiting on uh, confirmation as to what's going on with that and kind of you know. So that that was actually um, discussed at the AGM this year. Um, where basically, to me, I'm, I'm trying to find what the actual accepted uh, words were because um, it was accepted. Um, however, I feel like it was, the way it was accepted uh, was sort of like, it has to be changed in the bylaws, which has to be accepted at the EGM. But um, like there was there's no actual wording that needs to be changed in the bylaws there was there was a bit of back and forth and like um what was actually accepted was um like british powerlifting were basically to facil facilitate online attendance at um agms uh so i don't particularly basically you'll have to find out if you try and put an ele electronic signature in and you're told it has to be written down then that's what you have to do uh, basically it's a very uh the current board are very uh against e-signatures and anything to do with electronic with agms and egms at the moment um so yeah that's just saying that that was brought up at the agm last year but the way it was accepted was very murky yeah um, and I think there was there was uh, some I can't remember who shared it. It might have been Kim Cowell um, shared something about you know legally like e-signatures are good. Um, they're good to go in in British law, so there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to be accepted at the AGM. Um, but you know that's that's yet to kind of play out, and we're yet to kind of um, see see that I suppose. Um, the other kind of part of this is, uh, and again, it was mentioned in the um, the previous um, podcast by the Sabado Boys, is that a lot of the board roles and board positions kind of currently aren't filled. Um, again, if you go on the British Powerlifting website and you go under news, you can see that we we currently don't have a financial director. Um, He's, he's kind of resigned. Uh, the independent director is vacant. The communications director is vacant. The performance director is vacant. Development director is vacant. And the competition director is vacant. And the boards seem to 
well, either there's no interest in, in it or, you know, there seems to be failure in terms of ability to fill these roles. Um, and admittedly, they're all voluntary roles, so I can't imagine people are jumping at the bit to pick up a full-time job for, for no money and, you know, less than ideal working conditions, especially ones that are relatively high pressure, right? Um, JBS raised a great point and he was kind of like, you know, coaches are volunteering their time to spend between seven and 10 grand a year to travel internationally. Um, which is crazy. And that's, pro that's probably a low end estimate. You know, I don't know how much I spend every year traveling with a team and paying for flights and hotels, you know, five, five, six weeks a year. It's, it's a lot of money. Um, so, so yeah. Um, again, you can get all of the minutes from both 2022 and 2023 on the website. Um, but the major thing that I kind of want to talk about is a little bit more about the, <clears throat> the timeline. So, the reason that this is all being called for and the timing of it all being called for is because at the start of 2024, there are, are going to be a few major changes or a few um, contracts and things like that that are going to be put to tender, right? And I know this has been a point of contention previously in the past where uh, maybe they haven't gone to tender in a way that was as open as it could have been or as kind of... Um, I think the right way to say this like uh economically strategic you know they maybe didn't drive up as much as much income as they could have and yet on the same hand they want to say that they can't pay for certain things because you know it they don't have the money for it and it's like well if you're not making as much money as you could out of sponsorships and working with different corporates how do you expect to have the money to run a successful and buoyant business right so in terms of that changing, um, Owen, you'll know more than this than I do. What what's kind of changing into at the start of twenty twenty four, and kind of what contracts are open um, for different companies to potentially come on board with, and and kind of what prospects do I suppose British powerlifting offer to a, a prospective company wanting to invest or sponsor or whatever with British powerlifting, become affiliated with British powerlifting in some sort of way. Yeah, I think the the main thing for this year is. Um... The, the larger contracts, uh, most most notably uh, SPD's contract, um, comes to an end this year. So they've been tied in for four years. I think we can all agree that the power the landscape of powerlifting is very different now between four years ago. Um, and I think if you were to think about what would have been offered four years ago like while uh, you know there's very little detail out there but if you looked at the powerlifting landscape four years ago imagine what was offered then and imagine saying that like that is what you're paying for exclusive rights to the federation now you could imagine that you might think that um that's maybe a little bit on the low end of what the federation should be getting for the exposure that a brand would get for it and i think that is the hindsight that i think british powerlifting missed four years ago was thinking oh okay we've only got this one brand that is able to help us so let's just put all our all our eggs in one basket and not realizing how big of a expansion the sport was going to have and you know now you have companies uh like A7, wider companies like Gymshark, smaller companies like uh, Union Jacked, or like even like companies I can think of, um, 
maybe like Smash and Pass in uh, uh, Scotland, like smaller companies like that that would be willing to help, but uh, find it very difficult to have an in because there there is very little scope for them uh, to do so due to conflicting contracts with with other companies. So uh, this year, uh, you know, Ben Davies at the moment is the current uh, sponsorship officer. Uh, but the downside of that is it's not a voting role. It's He's not on the board. So while he can do everything he can to, like, get all these amazing uh, companies on board, right now, if the board say no, then it's very difficult for him to do all the great work he's doing. So I think with the sport going down the route of it definitely is going to need uh, commercial viability for it to grow and not just survive. Uh, I think it needs um, a tender process that is, like you said, you know, instead of it being, okay, you know, there's nothing, you know, one company gets everything. It's, this is the tender process. Everyone gets to pitch what they think they can add value to. And then the you know, the members or the board or whoever is in place at the time towards the mid- middle back end of next year can, you know, end up looking at, okay, this company can do this for us. This company can do this for us. Can we work with three or four companies or is one company going to go, you know what, instead of having all these four companies, we'll put the cash injection in that uh, all these companies will, will do combined and you know that is where those conversations and those competitive companies coming in drives up the revenue to british powerlifting that's essentially the main important part and i think that it's very difficult to do that when there isn't complete transparency on how it's done and i think that's one of the things that um the exec from a uh commercial side uh especially the, like with my personal um dealings with them through a7 they mean well but they don't deliver very well it's very confusing there's no um there's no there's no back and forth it's very much black or white and i think you there's nothing worse than a company who want to help but they feel like they're always the one reaching the arm out you know we as a federation we should be actively looking for sponsors um and we should have a lot less red tape so that we can grab these uh these companies that are a willing to help and be a really nice fit for how the federation want to present themselves I think that's only that's only fair, right? To take something too tender, to be as open and as transparent as possible, and potentially even create like you know, if there are companies that are that have more money, that you can drive up some sort of bidding war, or you can kind of have a an open forum in which the, the federation has the opportunity to make as much money as possible, because so much of this, so much, so many of these issues that we talk about 
um, you know, voluntary roles, funding for coaches, funding for referees, funding for this, funding for that. Like, if they were a very profitable business and they had a million in profit every year, they could run referee courses for free. Every division could run one every year and put in 20 or 30 new referees every year. Do you know what I mean? Like, there would be so many easy, easy wins that would make the sport better and give them so much more opportunity to continue to do that. Now, obviously, they're pie in the sky numbers. I've just kind of made that up. But it's more a case of like, if you're trying to run something like a business and you're trying to grow the sport, you need to run it as such. It can't just be whatever is, uh, you know, the the most simple or kind of comfortable thing for somebody to do. Like put in the extra legwork and make all that extra money. Like that's kind of the position you should be in. Or at least I say make money like somebody's getting paid a ton of money. That's not really the case. It's more a case of having the money to be able to do these things, to be able to drive these things forward, right? Which I think is <coughs> important. Um, yeah ultimately. exactly like you said you know it's not it isn't about like you know having a backdrop with fifty thousand sponsors on it and it, everything looking really busy it's about creating that competition so that uh the federation are compensated the way they should so that they can grow in the way that they can you know like if we if we look at a lot of other federations um i mean i'll take a perfect example and a true like um i'm speaking of this from a very personal side is if you look at silent worker and how they work with the french federation it is a i you can look at that and you can, can't say that's not good for the sport you know like the silent worker team are putting on events they are able to you know they're getting the support from the federation to put those events on to fund those events i guarantee you there are probably five uh companies in the uk right now that i reckon would want to do that but uh can they do it they don't know how to do it they don't know the avenues they don't there there's very much it's very much a difficult process to get into that where i think that like i think there's um room for a few different brands in the sport or if there's room for one brand they really need to stamp their authority and pay over the odds to ensure that exclusivity and both options is would change the landscape of powerlifting in the uk over the next four to eight years like it is no doubt about it because you go from uh you know if you look to bottom up if you went to every single divisional competition and uh you know uh every spotter and loader was in the same outfit um you know they were all getting paid to be there uh every referee was getting compensated to be a, a divisional event every division got uh you know call it ten thousand pound a year just for one event of the year which is their you know summer event or their winter winter smash or whatever like just these little things would make such a huge difference to participation in the sport from a grassroots level we're finding it hard enough as it is to uh, get enough competitions for the amount of participation that we're getting in the uk so it's not just looking at 
the British, which I think we'll probably come on to in the next like 20 minutes or so. But it's about looking at every single level and how is powerlifting how is powerlifting perceived from day one when you walk into that first competition that you've got? And I think that is probably a very undervalued part of powerlifting and participation, not just membership, but retaining membership. Absolutely. Um, you know, we'll, we'll dive we'll dive straight into it now. That was another thing that was requested, I think in 2022, it might have been 2021, um, that we no longer held um, British Open Championships at um or in a in a gym um which was accepted um and it passed and yet the next two were uh in a gym uh the women's was in scotland that year at a crossfit gym and the men's was at um energize in colchester now again it's not it's not to say anything bad on any on any particular meat host um there are people that have done amazing jobs of of doing that it's more a case of if you're going to pass a motion <laughs> then you need to action the motion and if we compare ourselves to uh we we actually had bryce and garrett on talking about um like a lot of the stuff in the cpu in the last couple actually i'm not sure if um we've actually posted them but talking about structurally how the cpu works how they have all this extra money how they're able to do things differently from us and every year that I've been in the sport, so since kind of 2014, 2015, they've had it in some sort of like arena or a hotel ballroom or like a, you know, a proper venue. And that's a national federation and a country that is way, way bigger than ours um, in terms of landmass <clears throat> with around about half of the um, lifting population, half the number of members or so. They're about anywhere between kind of two and 3,000 any given year. Um, and they've been able to do it consistently for almost 10 years and yet we're kind of sat here like we we can't get it and when people do get it like with this whole all england's not all england's thing it's like bottlenecked somehow or it's made difficult for you kind of no real known reason um which i think is is difficult um and it's also kind of created this weird um uh, devolution or kind of devaluing of the British national championships as well, because people are like, well, if I'm not going to go and win British or like come in the top three, then why would I bother doing that when I could just go and do the English? Cause it's going to be a better competition. And I think you can, you can see, you can see that very easily just by the, the speed of entries of something like what was the all England's and the, just the way it was promoted um versus the british you know like i felt especially this year like the british it was while it ended up getting an okay turnout rate it almost ended up being sort of like drips and drabs and it finally finally managed to get people there and i think yeah so much more can be done on that higher level as well and i think it almost becomes like um, uh, an like an us versus them sort of situation, right? Where you're 
trying to build something that's bigger, but it's very difficult to do. And again, from a personal side, I haven't run a competition for a long time, but like I know the it's very, very easy to run a competition at a divisional level because you have a lot of autonomy, right? You can, it's up to you to find the venue. It's up to you to, all you've got to do is essentially tell your division and tell British powerlifting that I'm running this competition on this date. And, you know, what, when it comes to a point where like you are, okay, I want to run this event on this day at this event. And then there's a lot more red tape again when you've spent so long running divisionals where you've been told you haven't been told what to do and then you have these visions to go my divisional is now going to be so much better because i've got the i've got british powerlifting on board and it's going to become a national event you expect that experience to be enhanced where like you said it it almost feels like a de-evolution where that is in no way the fault of the meet director um i think the every single meet director who's run a British in the net in the last probably three, four years are not it's not their first competition running a competition. You know, like they've they've done everything they can to get there. And I think that is generally I think we, we're circling round again like the topic of there's like a distaste for the way that maybe the current exec are running the growth of the sport not so much the day-to-day operations of ticking it over i think there isn't I, th- I think a lot of people would probably argue that you know the current board do quite a good job with you know the admin they do quite a good job with making sure that you know powerlifting isn't going into complete anarchy you know like it's it's holding the fort but is that what we want to keep doing as a federation when you see like you said federations like the cpu who have a very similar base to us very similar participation rates probably a harder job because their you know population is so spread out you know like we have people over here complaining that uh competition is in scotland but if you were to go to imagine going oh, it's in scotland but oh, by the way it's in murrayfield like people are going to be like Oh yeah, definitely. I'll go there. And, you know, there are, I know I'm saying Murrayfield, like that's a bit of a pipe dream, but you know, it's not because there are events where they take place, maybe not in the actual middle of the bloody rugby pitch, but there's conference rooms, there's hotels, there's, you know, you, you don't need to have a grand venue. You need to have a slick venue that, is accessible you know by train routes by travel routes by car like by by whatever means possible not you know gate five like it's uh it's difficult but i think that's where the disdain i think the the frustration comes in from uh why we see an uh an egm coming around you know yeah, and I mean, again, I'm, I've am i run a few local meets, but nothing ever particularly, you know, spectacular or anything like that. But it's it's a case of kind of like, you know, with some of these bigger events, I mean, even if we look at, say, something like uh, IPF Worlds this year, people are saying it's, you know, the best one that they've run, etc. And that was in a, like a ballroom slash conference center at 
uh, an intercontinental hotel, right? So nice hotel, but everything was on site. So training rooms were on site, all the athletes stayed on site, all of that sort of stuff, right? So the meet hotel and the venue was all in the same place. They literally did this year with Masters. They did that for um, for British Masters, right, in Belfast. And from everyone that I've spoken to that was there, it was pretty slick, it was pretty well run, it was pretty well organized. So it's not a case of it's impossible to do. I just we I'm kind of a bit lost, if I'm honest, that we're not making more of an effort to do something like that and promote like the life out of it. Because ultimately for what 99.9% of our membership that's the highest level that they can hope to compete on. And that should be the pinnacle of outside of like literally competing internationally, which is elite sport, where people are going to try to get to and what people should be aspiring to do. So if they're like, well, I train in a better gym than the gym that's hosting this meet and they could go and have a better SPD day by going to a nice gym. It doesn't. It doesn't add up to me. And again, that's that's no shade on anyone that's hosted them before. Those guys have always done a great job in the past. It's more a case of, surely we should be trying to make these things big events for people, right? I make it a big deal. I make it look really cool. I make it feel really good. And make it like, feel like the equivalent of a high caliber international, um, which not many people get to experience. And you have to be very very good to get there. Um, and I think that's one thing that's kind of a bit like, you know, missing, especially when there are other, um, other national governing bodies in other countries that manage to do it so well. Um, I mean, take when the USAPL was still the USAPL, their nationals used to look so, so good. And in my head, I was like, maybe one day we can get there. Do you know what I mean? If we compare ourselves now to maybe 2014 2015 usapl like 10 years on they weren't that much bigger then than we are now and yet there's still this big disconnect between what we're able to do and what they're able to do um so you know my i i scratch my head at things like that because i'm like you're gonna have to do something like that if you're gonna want to promote not only have the media and have all the cool exposure but also you know like Bring people in. Why are people going to want to compete here over somewhere else if your national championships looks like any other local meet? You know, in, in the nicest way, like, why would they want to do that? Especially if it's more competitive or somebody is maybe less after the competition and wants to go to a federation where they can be a, you know, a world champion with a 400 Wilkes. Like, yeah, I don't know. For me, it just doesn't really... There's a, there's a large disconnect, you know, and I, I kind of want to be able to address that some way, somehow. And I think these people that put themselves forward might be looking to try and do that by securing a little bit more funding and by kind of taking things to tender when it comes to, you know, new contracts and stuff like that, which I'm, I'm hoping can can happen. Um, sorry, mate, I went on a bit of a rant then. Have you, have you kind of got any additional additional thoughts to, to that? No, that's pretty much spot on. I think... Uh... I think from a uh, from from like a lifting side, from like my my lifter's hat on, I think the bit that I also struggle with is like the ability to like you said, from not just where a competition is gonna be, but when. You know, like I find it absolutely crazy that 
no one at the moment has uh, even seemed to have clocked that the Europeans are going to be in March next year, um, which means yeah. the British can't be in March next year, which means the British, in theory, should be in October. But then what are you going to do? You're going to send the same team again? Who you sent years? So you've got two years of a British going, and then all of a sudden, if a British is plonked in February, you're not going to have anyone who's going to go to Euros. So are you going to have people winning the British who are going to now be like, I should be going to Worlds? Or you win the British, you hit a good total, but actually you've not been pressed, so you don't know how that person pushes is pushed under pressure and then they go to worlds and they really struggle that in itself like we should have had the 2024 calendar january 2023 with mm -hmm. a change like that and yeah so and with the head coach stuff right so this is the thing where it's it's a really really big mess so there are a couple of things actually that the guy the other guys didn't touch on that we can talk about so um in no official capacity has henry tosh yet stepped down he has said to the open team and to the open team coaches that he is resigning from uh, being head coach. Uh, he mentioned that to us pre-Worlds, but he's now officially stepped down post-Worlds. He was obviously the head coach in Malta. Um, so officially, there, there's been no official res resignation from him. Um, relatively recently, in the last couple of weeks, they... Um, they went to ask Henry about the... So this is one of the weird bylaws. Officially, uh, Paul Marshall and I spoke about this, is that officially the head coach can only actually select from the relevant British powerlifting national championships, meaning that theoretically they shouldn't be able to use totals from home nation competitions. So the Welsh, the English and the Scottish. However, they have been able to previously. Um, and Henry confirmed now that the All England's slash Manchester Open um, has now been confirmed um, that they will that the whoever the new head coach will be will be able to accept totals from from this competition. Um, what's very very strange about it is it's a national competition in everything but the name. Um, so you can now uh, get a, a total that can be considered uh, internationally. You can break national records and you can well you're going to be refereed by referees that are of that national standard. So. It's, it's effectively the English again without just being called the English, um, which is bizarre, but, you know, it's whatever at this point. I think ultimately if it's, if it's everything there but the name, that's something to consider. So this is the other thing that's up in the air, right, is they haven't advertised the role for head coach yet. So, well, Henry hasn't officially, like, officially stepped down. There's been no announcement from British Powerlifting. They haven't um, announced or, you know, started to take applications in for the new head coach. So therefore, nothing can really be done. So unless they're going to turn that around and open it for a week and then close it again, it's likely that if this new board is going to be in, that they're going to be the people electing the new head coach, which is also going to leave a relatively short turnaround between then and, then and December, maybe. I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but maybe. Um so, you know, it's all kind of a bit up in the air and it's all a bit strange. Um, and, you know, it's not it's not really been announced necessarily as to what exactly the, you know, the process is. Um, so that'll be an interesting one. Um, as far as like the international calendar goes, 
yeah, this was the thing, right? So with them revoking national status from the All England, uh, All Englands, it basically meant that the the cycle of the current international team was going to be because the the head coach would not be able to select totals from anything other than the British Championships and internationals. It gave the guys already on the team a huge leg up for for everything else, right? So they've effectively got two years of training where they can post new totals or it'd be 18 months if we hosted it between the March 2023 and then October 2024, which is where it should be. And there's no kind of interim ability to for anybody else to post any new totals, which basically meant if you didn't go to British, um, so like yourself, you did, did you compete at British this year? I don't think you did, did you? So like somebody like yourself who's, you know, competed a lot internationally would basically be there like ham like tied up not being able to compete for 18 months to post international total even though there's a decent chance that you would earn as team points at any international that you went to right so that's really really difficult the other thing that's really, really difficult is you're going to have two international competitions back to back in which not everyone's probably going to want to do all of them so we've got a long period now between worlds and euros but then we've then we're going to have uh, Euros December 2024 uh, Euros sorry yeah sorry December 2023 then you're going to have Euros in March 2024 then you're going to have Worlds in June 2024 and then you're going to have a British um, October so people are going to be like weighing up this like double head of Euros thing being like do I really want to do both of these European championships when like that's going to mean four competitions for me in six months because it will go euros euros uh worlds and then um a british oh sorry three competitions three competitions in in six months so you've, you've effectively got like three eight week preps back to back which is horrific <laughs> um yeah so you know a lot of lifters understandably will be thinking well maybe i do the one in december and then i skip the one in march or maybe i do the one in march and go march june and skip the one in december which also means that if we don't have a very deep team that britain's representation uh in those events is going to be not great um it's really not going to be great now credit where it's due um we have uh, Jake Downs has taken on the head coach role for Western Europeans. So he sent out some invites to some kind of like to some lifters that, you know, you could argue are kind of like developmental international lifters. So people that might have legs or people that have kind of uh, placed relatively well at British the last year and are going to kind of get their first like international caps in a, um, you know, at Western Euros. Um but it's kind of a bit like we're kind of like left in in the lurch a little bit in terms of like well what are we gonna do like how are we gonna pick a team what's gonna be the standard how do we how do we pick if we're not gonna have a british and then also where the heck is that british gonna go because people's training is gonna look different if they've you know if they've got a year and a bit to prep for a british or whether or not they're gonna have to do it in january because the other place they could stick it is be like F these international guys, let's just do our British in January and then you've got Euros in March and then Worlds in June and then they've got an off-season and they could just repeat that every year, right? Um, whether or not they're likely to do that, I don't know, but that's another thing that we could consider that could that could kind of be on the table. But again, 
it needs to be it needs to be laid out because I'm sat here like looking after some of my guys being like well I'm gonna plan for British to be here and here or like you know like most people's training doesn't look like that you know especially if they're wanting to do something different so whether or not they're I don't know rehabbing an injury or they're trying to go up a weight class down a weight class all those different things need to be kind of planned and it's very, very difficult to do that if we literally don't know when we're even going to try and have a British or when the best time it is to have a British. Um, and admittedly, it's kind of one of these things that it's like, it's kind of difficult to do in the current climate, but it's also something that we need to do urgently because it's probably the thing that's going to affect our active membership base the most, if that makes sense. Um, so we kind of need to start planning for it, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's without some sort of uh, announcement, it's going to be very, very difficult to kind of plan anything really. And I also don't, you know, as much as I rate all the guys on the open team right now from this year, everyone should be given a fair shake of the stick in terms of being able to post a total. So you shouldn't have to wait 18 months to even be considered for, you know, an international, which I think is one of those things that's like, it's kind of up in the air right now, right? With regards to what what people could go and do. Um, yeah, I, th I think as well with this sport growing the way it is, like you're going to have people coming out of, possibly coming out of juniors, uh, you know, who are like um, maybe lifting in Romania or maybe, you know, they are not lifting in Romania, but they chose not to lift in Romania because they were thinking... I'm going to do the British next year and then I'm going to try and get on the open team. And now like the, the goalposts have changed, but no one knows what they've changed to, you know, like this, this change of date for euros has been in the calendar for 48 months. It's been in the calendar for, for a long time. Like it's been at least like two and a half years in the making, like, you know, we should have seen that and we should have gone even if it was uh october 2024 british classic venue tvc like or even if it was september to december like i think again maybe maybe like ironically this has affected me more than probably a lot of lifters because i was i was injured at the end of last year i wasn't uh fit enough to do um british and then in my head it's sort of like oh that's cool because towards the end of the year i'll do i uh, maybe a larger event or like you'll focus on something that's coming up um but you was i uh, like i was expecting there to be communication from british powerlifting either about the british or about okay how do you you know put your name in the hat for uh qualification a lot earlier than you know well there hasn't really been any communication yet you know and i think this is the one thing that people have always called for um is just being able to get in contact with somebody and just ask that question because if if they came out and made a statement and they were like we are going to consider like if you didn't follow henry on social media which i mean henry hasn't got a tiny following but he hasn't got a big following it's not like he's got 30,000 followers that are checking in on him every day. You wouldn't even know that you could post a t total that was internationally rec or like recognized for internationals from the English. 
So, or the, you know, Manchester Open. So it's like, you know, how are you supposed to, <laughs> unless you're connected to these things, then how are you going to know? And it, it definitely shouldn't be like that. There shouldn't be like a, oh, if you're in the know, then great. And it's a boys club versus, you know, everything else. It should be, you know, you get an email from British Powerlifting and it outlines exactly kind of how we're going to manage this issue. Even if they said, hey guys, we're going to open up capacity even more for the Welsh, Scottish and the English. And we're going to not have a British for 18 months. So if you want a chance to be considered again for an international, get involved with these competitions and they are here, here and here. And, you know, we are going to be providing dispensation for people to compete in maybe in nations that aren't their own. So like if you couldn't get a space at the English, then you could get a space at the, the Welsh, as an example. And then those competitions and those competition directors as well would probably have more entries and would probably have more and more of a chance to put on a good show right ahead of time. So it, it it's surprising how it's been managed. Um, I know that the the EPA did kind of make a a letter of kind of apology and recognition that they acted hastily, which I think goes a really really long way. Um, and they they have kind of recognised that you know um, revoking national status from it wasn't maybe the best move uh, in hindsight, but obviously at that point the kind of uh the damage had already been done in terms of like the marketing and all the money that the guys were investing in the event so it's it's kind of difficult um the sponsors fortunately did stay with with them at the um now Manchester Open formerly all England so you know that's one of those things to kind of recognize but yeah i mean it will be an interesting one to kind of see how it plays out um i feel like there's a lot of kind of moving parts and a lot of different things to consider and i think the best thing for the federation is just to kind of get on sure footing as soon as possible, really. Um, because I think that's, I mean, from, from my perspective, it's the, it's the not knowing that kills me. Do you know what I mean? It's the insecurity. It's the, it's the uncertainty of like, oh, they could post a British and we're suddenly 10 weeks out. And I've got to prep a load of my guys off the back suddenly of we're 10 weeks out versus, okay, it's not until next October, which means that, you know, an athlete's year is going to look really, really different and we can choose to do certain things at certain times or to play around with certain things or to be certain body weights or whatever, which, you know, those people don't make up the majority of your membership base, but are probably British powerlifting's biggest marketing asset and their kind of following and influence on, you know, potential new members is probably greater than any other tool that British powerlifting really have. So it's kind of a bit like look after those people as much as you can, or at least make them as informed as possible to try and give everybody else a good shake of the stick in terms of mapping out their year, right? Like, I mean, you just have to look at, you know, what uh, powerlifting America have done with like all the kind of like press conferences and all that sort of stuff. Like, you know, however you feel about that whole situation over there, like what they have done is they have, created and given both their athletes and like themselves lots and lots of tools and lots and lots of ways to promote the sport and to create kind of these storylines that we've spoken about before right like i remember i think it was you me and samuel spoke about kind of like how do we storyline how do we create like how do how do we make people give a shit about a sport that actually if you don't know what you're watching or you don't care about the athlete it's actually kind of boring to watch how do you how do you create that? And I think you know you do that by 
by letting people see what these characters are like and what these people are like on you even look at the, what the IPF did at this year's Worlds. You know, they interviewed loads of athletes. People got to see face-to-face a lot more um, of those guys and, and girls. And, like, suddenly people care so much more. And I think that's the other thing is, like, a lot of these international athletes are kind of, like, low-key becoming these kind of, like, micro-celebrities, right? They've developed followings. People really care about, even if they're not from their country, they really care about how... Ina's a great example. People really, really care about how Ina does at competitions. Like, and people love that guy. And he's like, super cool guy, super, super chill person. Um, but people really, really care about how he does. And they, you know, he's like the the quintessential deadlift hero. Um, but he's obviously getting so much stronger everywhere across the board. And people like are loving to see this guy succeed. Um, you know, like people should, British Palatine got plenty of people like that. I've just used Enna as, as an example, but like, there are 15 to 20 people like that within British Powerlifting, if not more that, you know, British powerlifting or companies associated with British powerlifting could very much lean into and very much utilize to help grow the sport and help create greater outreach, right? And I don't I don't see how that's being done without these kind of organizational structures in place of, you know, calendar ahead of time and those sorts of things. But, you know, this is all stuff that, like, I feel, I feel like I'm on a, what's the word? Um... I've drawn a complete blank here. Like soapbox. I'm like shouting from a soapbox and actually I myself, I'm not in a position to action anything. So I feel like a bit of a dick, but it's a bit like we need to talk about these things to potentially drive forward and also to hopefully encourage and increase membership participation in things like this EGM that's upcoming, future AGMs, all those sorts of things where if you can't be there, give a proxy. Hopefully they're going to be online. That's a big thing that I think is going to be really, really important for a lot of people. And I think will really, really drive up participation is if the AGM is online, then people are going to have a much, much better opportunity to tune in. Like, you know, if it's at Morton College, unless you drive, you're basically not getting to Morton College, right? Which isn't very fair, but everyone has an internet connection, you know, like, yeah, uh, I think there are a few, a few things that hopefully will kind of continue to be promoted and put forward. Uh, mate, are there any kind of closing thoughts that, that you have on this or anything that you kind of want to touch on that I mentioned? Yes, so um, if you have listened to this and you want some more information, I'll shout out the guys' Instagram pages again. It's literally all, all one word, no spaces or underscores or anything like that. It's B-P-E-G-M. Uh, get in contact with that page. Talk to those people. Um, both JBS, James Brinkat-Smith, and Ben Davies have, have made themselves known to be uh, communicated to with regarding this issue. Um, both those guys are super honest, super transparent, and will share their thoughts and kind of feelings and, you know, be there to answer your questions. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, this will hopefully help drive up a little bit of traction and, and hopefully, you know, help in terms of, um, you know, doing more and, and helping people effectively, like, have more of a say uh, in terms of, you know, the the future of British powerlifting going forward, because ultimately it should, and, you know, should be a demo, uh, democracy and people should have their, their feelings and feelings heard and feelings heard, voices heard. Um, and, you know, should be able to make a difference to, to the Federation moving forward. And I think 
or from my perspective, all I care about is like increased participation therein. You know, if we've got 5,000 members, I would like to see 500 votes being made at an AGM. Like not everyone's going to do it. Not everyone's going to, you know, make it there. But if we make the meetings more accessible, if we make the, you know, the proxies more accessible, I'm sure that it will kind of help in terms of, you know, moving people forward and, and helping more um, as we go. So, so yeah, uh, that's pretty much everything for me, man. Oh, and where can people find you? What can people kind of look out for from you in the, in the next little while? Uh, nothing exciting about me myself, but keep an eye on A7, A7's where it's at, uh, A7 UK or A7 Europe. Um, yeah, I don't do much myself anymore, but I'm, I'm just <laughs> grouped up in a brand. <laughs> nice. Uh, you can find the podcast at X18 on social media. You can find me uh, at Pete Squats and you can find our coaching services over at Battalion Barbell. Um, on the Battalion Barber website, you can cop some X18 merch uh, if you want it. Uh, and that's pretty much everything from us. So thanks very much for listening and um, we'll talk to you guys soon.